Hey everybody, welcome to An American F1 Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Klein, and we are continuing with our off-season bits. And oh my god, I know, listen, I, my F1 appetite has been satiated, 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 thanks to the World Cup. But with the craziness that was the World Cup last week, I didn't get to make a podcast on Monday because I was just honestly... Not feeling it after partying all day from the World Cup, watching Argentina win, which uh, a spectacular game, really, truly epic game. But now that there's no World Cup, we are back to that empty feeling of not having Formula One race weekends. And uh, I'm starting to feel it. I haven't gone crazy yet. I've maintained my sanity. But last podcast I made was on December 13th, right? And when I made that podcast, we were talking about... Mattia Bonotto and his time at Ferrari potentially being over. And that would mean the replacement of Bonotto with Fred Vasseur, which was the rumor at the time, right? Alfa Romeo's team boss, Frederick Vasseur, going to Ferrari was basically one of the worst kept secrets. Well, I make that podcast Monday morning or whatever, the the morning of December 13th. Literally, like four hours later, all hell breaks out with team bosses in Formula One, and some of them were shocking, some of them were not that shocking, so I guess we'll start with what was not that surprising, and that was Matteo Bonotto leaving Ferrari and being replaced with Fragic Rassure being made official, and I think we all, the writing on the wall for Bonotto was coming, and apparently this has been a search that has been going on for quite a while with Ferrari, even potentially before the start of last season, And it's been so hard for Ferrari to find replacements, mainly because it seems, or at least that's what I've gathered from the reports I've read, that a lot of team bosses, I mean, they approached Toto Wolf. I believe Wolf was approached. I believe Christian Horner was approached, which I mean, hey, listen, I don't think Toto and Christian are going anywhere for the remainder of their careers, but you got to shoot your shot, right? You got to try to get, they are arguably the best team principals possibly ever in in at least recent years, right? So not entirely surprising that they reached out to them, not entirely surprising that they said no. Uh, I believe Andres Seidel was also someone who was reached out, and perhaps Franz Toast, but basically everybody said no. <laughs> um, and some people were theorizing because of the toxic atmosphere, um, Ferrari or whatever, but uh, yeah, the Alfa Romeo boss, Frederick Vestor, who I think has done quite a good job with the Alfa Romeo Sauber group as a team boss, as a team principal. He's He's been pretty solid. He's developed a lot of good drivers. I mean, he has Charles Leclerc and he has Joe Guan Yu under his resume. So he is um, someone who has developed talent and he's done a great job managing that team in recent years. So I really have no problems with that. I think... He's um, a he's a team boss that knows what to do, and I think he knows what he's doing with his drivers, and I think he handles his drivers properly. And I think, you know, we have seen that Alfa Romeo has had some of their best finishes in recent years under Frederick Vasseur. So I think where Ferrari is going, and of course there is that connection with, or there was that connection between Alfa Romeo. And Ferrari, which is going to be ending. But I think he's the right guy for the job. And I think that for Ferrari to have someone like Frederick Vasseur 
is 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 a positive. It's a step in the right direction. Now, will it succeed? That remains to be seen. I mean, there were a lot of errors Ferrari committed this year. Not all the fault of Matteo Bonotto, but as I've mentioned before, when when there's problems in a team and you're the team principal, everything rolls uphill, right? So with Matteo Bonotto having the issues that Ferrari had this year, it is entirely not surprising. He's gone, and I'm excited to see what Vastior can do. I think he will bring Ferrari... Will Ferrari be a... Uh, will he bring him a championship? I can't guarantee that. I think, you know, the competition's going to be quite tough. I do think Ferrari has one of the most solid driver lineups other than maybe Mercedes with George and Lewis, but I think Carlos and Charles are... A great combination, and and we will see what happens with that group, and we'll see what Ferrari can do. I'm I'm excited to see. I truly am excited, and I'm looking forward to seeing what Ferrari can do with Fred Vasseur in as team boss. Now, the other one. Now, the other two moves were, I guess, surprising to me. Uh, the first one being Andreas Seidel out. And McLaren, right? So that was something I don't think people saw coming exactly. Andre Seidel has been almost, uh, how would you call it? Like, a, not, I don't want to say like a comfort zone for McLaren, but like a, a steady rock at McLaren. Um, and Andre Seidel is now going to move over to be the CEO of the Audi Group Sauber. Uh, when they take over with the whole Alfa Romeo situation. So um, he's going to be the CEO, not team principal. So I guess it's going to be more kind of like a role of Zach Brown as Zach Brown is at McLaren and, you know, kind of what I guess you could say Toto Wolf is at Mercedes, right? So I think it's a good move. I think it's interesting. I think Andre Seidel is a talented team principal. I think he's a very talented um, manager of Formula One. I know McLaren struggled this year, but McLaren has gone to new heights under Zach Brown. But I was also left wondering, and now, of course, the new team boss, I don't know if anybody's familiar with him, but Andrea Stella, who was the executive director at McLaren, is now stepping in as team principal. And, you know, he has, Andrea Stella has a great resume as well. I mean, he was, he has an engineering degree in aerospace, right? I mean, he has a PhD in mechanical engineering. He was a performance engineer with Ferrari, uh, was part of Michael Schumacher's winning team, uh, was part of roles with Kimi Raikkonen when he won the driver's talent. So driver's title, um, he was Fernando Alonso's engineer. So he has a lot of history under him, uh, a talented individual. So I think a good move for McLaren, it'll be interesting to see what they can get out of him and you know McLaren's a team again like as I was saying Zach Brown great marketer great has done great things for that team but McLaren's hitting a point I don't want to say instability because it's not the McLaren of old it's not the McLaren of you know 2017 2018 where they were really struggling but you know for a team that has been on the rise, 2022 was kind of either, you could say, a plateau point or a weak point. Not one of their greatest seasons. I think they definitely underhit. There was the whole drama with Daniel Ricciardo, too. So, you know, they're kind of in a team. They're at a pivot point, some people would say, right? Like, this could be the moment where McLaren either 
excels, especially with Oscar Piastri coming over, uh, joining Lando Norris. So it's either at the moment where they excel or they plateau and, and do not meet the expectations they've set out. Because I think by now, yes, we have Daniel Ricciardo's win, but I think by now, especially after seeing Daniel Ricciardo win at Monza, I think people would have thought Lando would have gotten a victory. And he almost did at Russia that one time, but I think people would have expected a Lando victory by now. Or McLaren to at least be on the podium more than once in the last year, right? So, it'll be interesting to look out for. I'm I'm intrigued to see what that team boss can do, what Andrea Stella can do over at McLaren, and whether or not he will be successful and whether or not McLaren can continue some modicum of success with Andrea Stella as their team principal. And I think for uh, for Andrea Seidel moving over to um, moving over to Audi is also a good move for that team. You know, they're going to be a team. Just because you have manufacturer backing doesn't mean you're going to be you know a factory backing doesn't mean you are going to be immediately successful we've seen it with mercedes we've seen it with jaguar we've seen it with honda we've seen it with these different teams toyota right like just because you're a factory team doesn't mean you're going to have success and we're going to have to wait and see what audi can do and i think the person that can bring audi to new levels is andreas seidel and that's something that we will definitely need to note and we're going to look at how the different moves they make right as they try to settle into creating that team and setting that team up for success because they're going to be one of these again they're they're venturing into this sport and just because you have that backing doesn't mean it's going to be an easy time so yeah Andreas Seidel going to the Audi group definitely I think a great move but we're going to have to be patient with that one. And now I'm going to the move that really came out of left field. And that was Jost Capito. Is it Jost Capito? I think Jost Capito, right? Um, pulling out of Williams and, and leaving as team principal. That And apparently his resignation was asked for in, I think, Doralton Group asked for his resignation in like June or July. So it was known over the summer he was going to go. And it kind of boggles my mind that Williams has yet to replace a team boss. And I was quite surprised that he was out. I didn't think Yost has done a bad job with Williams. I know Williams struggled this year, but compared to where they were in these last couple of years, it really does shock me that he was gone. I think he was setting the team up in the right direction. And I think, you know... Yeah, they finished last in the in the Constructors' Championship, which you never want to do, but obviously, I mean, never want to finish last. Yeah, that makes sense. But, no, I, I really didn't think Williams was a team, or I didn't think Yost was deserving of getting let go, and I thought they had made the right move bringing Alex Albon. I did think the Logan Sargent move was a little questionable, but, listen, it is what it is. They... They made the decision they made, right? They they went with it, and yeah, I'm just surprised. I thought he had the right winning attitude. I thought he could bring that team to new heights or bring them back to their old glory. But apparently, Williams, and we know that, they finished last again. And I, I feel like I'm saying this all the time, but 
Um, we know they finished last in the 2022 Constructors' Championship, but honestly, I thought that maybe there were some positive lights from this season, um, and I thought that Williams could be setting up for more competitiveness, but apparently they are very behind in terms of, you know, there was a recent article talking about how Williams is, like, stuck in the past, and it's unfortunate. It's hard to say whose fault that actually is, and you could go back to, you know, the Claire Williams era and and different things. I just think there have been a team with a lot of instability. They really, you know, had those years where they absolutely struggled as of late, and you know, you don't want to see a team like Williams, a historic team like Williams, really struggle like they are. And it, and it really is a shame because the history behind them is just, you know, so storied. One of the most intriguing startup teams, you know, going back to Frank Williams with his cars. And yeah, it truly is a shame to see how far they've fallen. And I think the investment group of Doralton Capital is trying to do the right things. Again, though, I do think putting Logan Sargent in. Listen, as much as I am an American race fan and I want to see an American in Formula One, to me, I haven't seen enough from Logan Sargent. So that move feels, it almost to me, listen, and I'm going to talk about America, uh, Formula One expanding into America in a second, but to me, it feels almost like a gimmicky, like, let's get an American into Formula One move. I, I think there are a lot more talented drivers available. And as much as I would love to say as an American, yes, I'm excited for Logan Sargent. I'm really not. Because if he's just going to be at the back of the pack and not be competitive, then I'm not going to be excited. If he performs well, I will. I will be excited if he performs well. But it's just, it feels like such a big question mark. And listen, I've watched his F2 career. I know he was great in F3. He's had some great performances in F2, but it's just so hard because F2 this year was so watered down that it's hard to tell who really is. Like, is there an Oscar Piastri, like, great from Formula 2 right now? I don't know. I really don't know. And is it Logan Sargent? <laughs> I don't know. I really, <laughs> I think he is a wild card. <laughs> I think it's it's a big unknown. I don't know what we will get from him. I really don't. He'll either, he will, and, and this is going to sound so typical, so cliche, but he's either going to swink, uh, swink, he's either going to sink or swim. But, you know, with guys like Felipe Drugovic available, um, you know, we had Drugovic available, we had Liam Lawson, Teo Porcher. I mean, those are good guys, and they don't have a ride. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe I'm just thinking too much into this. But, yeah. So, we'll see what Logan Sargent can do. He might he might be successful. He might not. But I would like him to work out. But, speaking of that, USA and Formula One. Did you guys see Vegas? Vegas has this, like, emperor package. And it's a $5 million package that includes it for, oh, sorry, $5 million emperor package for you and some friends. So, you know, if you have a few friends that you could split a couple hundred thousand dollars with, you know, you could get this package that includes, uh, I guess you stay at Nobu's hotel, you eat at Nobu's restaurant. Oh, no, no. You get food from Chef Nobu himself, which is 
crazy. We are looking at the monification, pun intended, right? Monaco, money, monification, monoconizing, monoconizing, monocoizing of Formula One in America. I think, I really think Vegas is going to be huge and it might, and I'm not just saying this from being a fan of Formula One, I'm saying this as being a fan of racing, being a fan from the United States, I think Vegas is going to be epic, and I hope the racing, please, 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 I hope the racing is good, and this also ties into the other thing I wanted to talk about, because Vegas is a street course, right, so Max Verstappen the other day was talking about how street courses essentially suck, and He's not wrong. The Formula One cars now are not built for street circuits. And there are some street circuits I love. I think Melbourne, that technically counts, right? So Melbourne is a great street-like circuit. Um, I guess Circuit de Gilles Villeneuve counts too, right? That's kind of like a hybrid street circuit, kind of permanent too though. And Baku. Other than that, the other street circuits, Miami, eh, Miami could be good. Miami is decent, but it has that stupid little chicane that I hate. And I wish they could just get rid of it. Oh, Singapore, I guess that counts too. Singapore's a nice track. All right, so there are a few, but the racing at some of these aren't always great, right? So, and I don't blame Max for saying that. Like, I want to see more purpose-built tracks. Like, the United States, we have so much available. We have tracks that already exist. We have room for new tracks. I don't get why. And I get it. I I do. From a marketing standpoint, I get it. I get that you get that shot of the cars racing down the Vegas Strip or down the coast of Monaco. But why can't we find better purpose-built tracks? Look at like some some of our purpose-built tracks are some of the best racing. Brazil, Silverstone, Suzuka. Those are great tracks. The drivers enjoy racing there. And yet we're going to them less and less. I feel like every time there's a new course, it's a street course. Look, we're getting that new Qatar course. It's going to be a street course. Like we need a purpose built, more purpose built tracks designed for good racing. I'm, I'm just tired of these other tracks that are more for the visual and not for the racing. Because I think, listen, Again, I, I get the marketing point of a street circuit, but, 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 give me more purpose-built tracks. Give me good racing, because if you have good racing with the fan base you got now, you will get more fans. You will get more people hooked, and it's a shame because we're in this drive to survive era, and listen, I know... Listen, 2022 was supposed to be the year where the racing was closer. And the regs promised us that and ended up not being. F1 kind of looked at it in 2021 that it was an epic season too. So we go from 2021, which was one of the most epic seasons in Formula 1 history. No matter how it ended, you can't deny it was one of the most epic seasons. And we go to the 2022 season, which was... But for all intents and purposes, it was meh. It was mid, right? But, yeah, um, give us more purpose-built tracks. It's kind of funny. Hopping on that, we are losing China again because of COVID, right? They uh, are not allowing the Chinese Grand Prix in 2023. So now there is a race to fill in a track. And two of the ones fighting for positions on hosting that race, it's between Turkey and Portimao in uh, 
you know, Turkey, the Istanbul track, and Portimao in Portugal. If I had to choose, I would love to see. I love Istanbul. That is one of the, since we went there, what, we went there, um, in recent years, we went there the COVID year, and I think last year too, right? Uh, Istanbul has had good races, and uh, I genuinely enjoyed watching Istanbul, the races at Istanbul. I know the last race there didn't promise as much as it could have, but Istanbul has some pretty good racing. So in terms of that, between Turkey and Portimao, I'm looking forward to seeing Istanbul on that schedule and not Portimao because I don't think the racing is that great at Portimao. I want some good racing, and I think Istanbul provides it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, In other random news, right? So, (laughs) uh, well, we got a bunch of F1 releases coming up, right? So it's getting to that point of the year. We're only a month away from our first look at new liveries, which, you know, it's funny. We won't. You know this already. We're not going to get a look at the new car concepts, right? There's no no chance because – Teams aren't going to give it away that early. We're going to get like the the stock car. Remember, remember last year we were all like trying to investigate every little unveiling, and half of us realized that it was just the 2022. It was just a livery on the 2022 like new regs car. This is what it looks like. <laughs> but yeah, we got Alpha Tauri coming up on February 11th in New York City. I gotta find a way if I can go there because I'm so close. I love Alpha Tauri, even though they don't have Pierre Gasly anymore. But I love Yuki. I think Nick DeVries is an interesting choice. And I really want to go see an F1 car unveiling. So I got to figure out how I can get there. I don't know how I can do that. I know how I can get there. I'll take the train. But I want to find out if I can get in and see it because that would be epic. It's probably going to cost like a million bucks, though. You got to be like some kind of elite level person because that's the way things are now. Uh, but yeah, Alpha Tauri on 211. Followed by Aston Martin on 213, which also kind of funny because Mike Crack, team principal, right, over there at uh, Aston Martin was talking about how their realistic expectation for Aston Martin next year is probably fighting for fourth, which I guess would be good. But it got me thinking about Fernando Alonso, right? Like, how much patience will Fernando Alonso have over at Aston Martin? I just... You know, listen, I love Fernando. I think he's a great driver, and he's one of the best, still at his age, the best driver probably on the grid, arguably, between Lewis and Max, right? It's probably Max, Lewis, Fernando, top three, easily, easily. And he's proven it this year, too. Like, can't debate that those are the top three. Who's the best out of those three? Debatable. And I'm not going to get into that debate because that's a debate that can go on forever. But... Those three drivers, in my mind, are at least equals. So, with that being said, you're Fernando Alonso. You're at the age you're at. You've gone from, you know, you went from McLaren. You went from McLaren. You took off. Then you went to, came back with Alpine. Now you're at Aston Martin. Like, how much patience is Fernando Alonso really going to have? And how long is it going to be before... He starts butting heads and and really starts getting frustrated over it. Because if Aston Martin performs the way they did, and I don't think they will. I think they'll have better success this year. But if they have the Aston Martin that they were under Seb, I mean, I I really think Fernando is going to lose patience quickly. Uh, And I pray for everybody on that team that Fernando has some success early because (laughs) – 
he's going to go nuts. I, I'm telling you. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Fernando is not going to be happy if Aston Martin... If, if Aston Martin is not near where they're supposed to be, it is going to be a long, long, long year over there. And I just really hope that Fernando keeps his cool and is able to keep his, you know... Let's, let's get real. As great of a driver Fernando is, there's, a, there's an edge of toxicity to him. He's a little toxic. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes you push your engineers the right way. But other times, that, that it didn't work at McLaren. Didn't work at Alpine. Towards the end, that got really rough at Alpine. So, I'm just praying that things go all right at Aston Martin. I, I, it's, but hey, maybe, maybe, maybe a little toxic Fernando Alonso is what Lawrence Stroll needs to get his shit together and get that team better. Because it's not just Mike Crack. I think I think uh, Lawrence has caused some uh, issues there too. But anyway, oh, imagine those two butting heads. Oh, that's got to be interesting. Lawrence Stroll and Fernando Alonso butting heads. That's something I would pay money to see. That would be interesting. That would that would be <laughs> that would be entertaining. All right. Anyway, <laughs> so on Valentine's Day, hey, the love of your life, right? Ferrari. Totally not not a toxic relationship there, being a Ferrari fan. Sorry, Ferrari fans. Um, but on Valentine's Day, Ferrari unveiling their livery as well. So we got Alpha Tower Ferrari Aston Martin announced. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to look at what the new concepts will be, what, what cars we're going to get, things like that. And, uh, yeah, so just some other random bits of news I've come across from an American perspective again. I got to throw that in there. Andretti racing back in the news. You know, I feel like Andretti comes up every month that like they're going to be back in Formula One and then nothing ever happens. So allegedly there was this big group that's willing to, I think the Guggenheim group is willing to give an investment into Andretti. And I feel like we've been down this road a million times and Andretti still seems optimistic about it. But every time it gets somewhere, you hear, nope, no Andretti. So I'm not going to get my hopes up for Andretti coming back until I actually see Andretti coming back. But it it really is like a nonstop news report. I feel like every month we get a report that Andretti Racing is joining Formula One or has the steps necessary to join by X date. Sometimes it's 2026, sometimes it's 24, blah, 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 blah. But that will be... The day Andretti, the day I will believe Andretti is going to Formula One is the day I see Andretti in Formula One. Because for now, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. Maybe their plan is to buy Haas. Could I see that happening? Probably, but I don't know. Depends how much patience patience Gene Haas really has and Gunther and all that stuff. Speaking of Haas racing and ex-Haas drivers, we got, first of all, Mick Schumacher, props to him. That was another worst-kept secret that he was going to be going to Mercedes as their development driver or, what, reserve role driver, right? So Mick Schumacher did sign with Mercedes and is going to be their reserve driver, which I think will be a solid move for Mick. I think it's a guidance move. If he wants any shot of returning back to Formula One, he's got to be able to pull an Alex Albon. He's got to be able to pull an Esteban Ocon. He's got to maintain his focus. He's got to learn. He's got a great mentorship group there between between Toto, between Lewis, and to maybe even a lesser extent, George. And that group over at Mercedes, if there is a group that can mentor a driver, and they have. Look at what they did for Esteban Ocon. And I think Ocon is one of the most underrated drivers on the grid he's a little feisty yeah and all that stuff but 
I think what they did for Esteban, that could be Mick. Now, Mick, of course, has to be able to, you know, basically put up or shut up. He has to be able to get it done. And maybe Haas was toxic for him. If it is, it is. That that error is gone. And now he's in the Mick Mercedes era. Nice little connection to the Schumacher family. All that, all that good stuff. And I just hope somehow we get Mick back on the grid. Because I truly think he was... Listen, Mick's performances weren't great last year. There's no doubt. And he did crash the car and cause damage. But I don't think he was deserving of getting let go of his ride. But I don't think it was working out at Haas. It wasn't going to work out at Haas. And I think the right move is going to Mercedes. And he's racing in the race of champions with his idol, his mentor, Sebastian Vettel. So that's going to be cool. And then just, oh my God, I didn't even get up to this. Man, how did I not start with this? I totally, I was supposed to start with this. And now I'm ending with it. I'm going to end with this. And there's so much other news I could have told you about. There were some other little things, right? We had Juan Manuel Correa uh, going to Van Amersfoort. Van Amers, I always say that wrong. Van Amersfoort Racing, right? So good to see him back in a Formula 2. Making the long comeback after that awful, awful, tragic incident. Uh, and and it's good to see Juan Manuel Correa just getting back in the car and trying to get back competitive because that has been a long road, a long, long, tragic, sad road. And to see him coming back and maintaining not only his mental fortitude, but being able to get back in that car and have some decent racing, have some decent finishes, get back with a team in F2. It's just, it's just good to see. It's a, it's a little heartwarming story out of a, a, a significant tragedy. Um, Oh, Otmar talking about Oscar Piastri and that whole scandal. That you know, Otmar's just bitter. That's all I'm gonna say. He was talking, basically talking smack about. He want, he basically wished bad karma on Oscar Piastri. Like, dude, chill. All right, I get it. You're mad, but chill, chill. We had talked about Williams being behind. Mick. Oh, so eh, Saudi Arabia in 2024. Saudi Arabia might be the first race, which. I think it would actually be a cool spot for the first race. This is, of course, to uh, make adjustments due to Ramadan. Very respectful. I hope that the FIA adheres to that. Because now we're getting into how the FIA is making a horrible move. And this is where I'm going to end this, this podcast today. And I really should have let off with this. But if you've been paying any attention to Formula One news, whether it's F1 Twitter formula one however you get your source of information with formula one so we've seen over the past basically the entire history of formula one formula one is a sport that both highlights the individual driver right it's international we go to i forgot how many countries we go to now but we have 23 races in several different countries i'm gonna get the number wrong so i'm not gonna say it but we go all over the map and some of the countries we go to aren't the best in terms of human rights, in terms of how they treat certain things. I mean, we've gone even, you know, hell, even going to Texas in the United States, which bans abortion. Like, we go to countries that aren't exactly friendly to LGBTQ rights, you know, countries with race issues, things like that, and environmental issues, just things like that and i get it it's you know we live in a world that is messed up and there are countries that are messed up and formula one still goes there because as lewis hamilton has said cash is king right you're gonna go to these places 
you know, regardless, basically. And they're big money places too. some of these places and some of these circuits where they are, right? Some of these countries and part of the thing with Formula One, we have some opportunities for individualistic protests, right? And we could just think of a few. One, I mean, during the Black Lives Matter movement, we had, you know, uh, we race as one. We had that whole movement there led by Lewis Hamilton. It was very great. You know, before the races, the drivers were organized. They got together. Most drivers, you know, did the kneeling thing and, uh, you know, showed their support, which was great. And we've had drivers show support for LGBTQ issues, the war in Ukraine. We've seen drivers using their helmets. Like Lewis Hamilton has one of the most iconic helmets, but which um, basically said, you know, in in um, standing in unity with LGBTQ rights throughout the Middle East, which are known for their horrible record on LGBTQ plus rights. And basically the FIA, uh, Seb Vettel's done a million things too. And I, I'm probably forgetting things, but the FIA basically announced that drivers cannot do this anymore without prior approval that to maintain political neutrality, which honestly to me, this is a whole bunch of bullshit. Like what the FIA is basically taking the FIFA stance. They're afraid it, it's obviously they're afraid to antagonize, antagonize these different countries and that they, that host their races, right? They're, they're afraid. And it's a shame because these drivers, someone like a Lewis Hamilton, someone like a Sebastian Vettel, and I don't know who's going to take up that mantle next year, but these drivers have a powerful platform and you're silencing them. And it truly is a shame. And I wish, and I hope the FIA reverses that decision. I don't know why they made this decision. And this was coming off the heels of, of all people talking about political neutrality, Nikita Mazepin, who is the worst person. That's the least thing he should be talking about is political neutrality. So yeah, truly, honestly, a disappointing announcement by the FIA. And we will wait and see. I'm anticipating that drivers are going to push back on this. And what happens if Lewis Hamilton decides to make his stand? Are you going to ban Lewis Hamilton from a race? Is that really going to happen? You're going to do that because of your political neutrality rule? Or is it something that's not as bad as it sounds and these drivers will get their permission? Which I doubt, right? You're telling me Lewis Hamilton, if he applies for permission to wear an LGBTQ helmet in Saudi Arabia which is known for their horrible record on that is Lewis Hamilton going to be given permission. And if he's not, is he going to wear it? And is he going to take a race ban? I want to see, show me the FIA trying to ban Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, that will go over well. So how this plays out will remain to be seen, but I definitely anticipate some pushback and I hope, I hope that the FIA reverses course and realizes that this is a terrible terrible decision especially with all listen all the toxicity that exists all these things going on i hope the fia fia gets their shit together and realizes that this is not the right way how do we go from we race as one to now we can't say anything doesn't make sense does not so that's where i'm gonna end my podcast today hoping angry angry at the fia yeah Angry that they have decided to make probably one of the dumbest rules that they could have made. Who are you really angering? 
Who are you trying to protect with political neutrality? Because being neutral is being a bystander. And being a bystander is just as bad as committing that act. But anyway, that's where I lead you guys off. I wish you guys a happy, healthy new year. And I will be back next year in 2023 with our first episode of what I'm considering the next season because it's a new year. So start off with the next episode of the 2023 season. I'm going to start breaking down the different seasons that the teams had on a week-by-week basis. So we'll be starting with our last place finishers, Williams. So feel free to listen next week if you want to hear about how bad Williams was. I think we already know. But anyway, uh, I enjoyed today. See you guys next year. Happy, healthy, safe new year. Talk to you next week. Don't forget to follow me at f one on Twitter. You can also follow our blog, www.f1idiots.com, and follow our other blog at F1 Idiots on Twitter as well. Thank you guys for listening and have a great day.